Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Keep us away from your heart. Today, help us to go deep. Help us to hear your heart. Come in this place, Jesus. Move among us. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, today, it's, um, it's my honor to get to share with you. It's, it's a strange thing. This thing has changed inside of me. So, yeah, I planted tapestry. Yes, I've worked with this thing for many years, and, and I've seen it grow from nothing to something and, and all that good stuff. But here now, I get invited to share. And there's a, very, there's a very big difference in being invited to share. In being invited to share, um, invitations are interesting. There's an authority that's given. Whereas before, you had to come hear me because I'm the only one that talked. Now if you come and you listen, I realize that you're coming because you get to hear. And you get to be a part. And you get to learn together. And that's an honor. So it's an honor to be here to teach and talk. Today, it is an honor to talk about stuff that Jesus said. I love Jesus. And um, I think if I've done any disservice to our church, it would probably be that I haven't spent enough time talking about Jesus. And so where I'm at right now is just hanging out talking about Jesus. There's a lot of stuff going on around the world today that make me a little bit aware of our era that we're in, the season we're in in life. And rather than getting concerned about all of that that's taking place, like what's going on in Egypt and being so afraid, I rise up inside and I recognize things that are taking place. I recognize what's behind them. Some folks don't understand what's taking place in Egypt right now because they only see the overthrow of another government that was flawed. And yet what I see is the overthrow of a government that was flawed, but as well the possibility of another government coming that's more flawed. I see the need for prayer more than ever. And I'm not some American that's sitting over here detached from everything that's going on around the world. I've traveled the world. I've been all over the place in underground churches. I've been in all kinds of mission situations. And I understand from other perspectives that just because the media brings something up and puts it on the screen doesn't mean that the way it's presented is exactly what's happening. And it doesn't mean that it's actually great. And it may not mean it's bad either. So I start looking into the culture and looking into the situation, looking into what's going on in, the, in, that, in that area or what folks are struggling with and even the larger conversation inside of communities and families. And, and I can see more of what's going on in a larger worldview. Oftentimes we lose the worldview in America because we're so comfortable here in places. And it's easy to get settled into our family and our little community and who we are. And whether or not we bring in a check every week. And whether we're struggling or not. But there's stuff going on around our world right now that's shaking me a little bit. Yet at the same time, I'm not afraid. There are things going on in our world right now that we should be praying about like we've never prayed before. Yet at the same time, I'm not afraid. And so I want to talk to you about something I think is time sensitive for where we're at for so many different reasons. And I don't know how I'll get 
this all wrapped around and together, but I just want to talk from where Jesus was and the way he talked about the season I believe we're in. And as well about what we're to do in this season of life. So Matthew 24, it's about to get a lot more interesting. Stick with me. I promise you won't regret it. Let's dig in. Jesus, come and speak to us through this word. Help us to hear your voice in Jesus' name. Father, come. Holy Spirit, come. Kingdom of God, come near. In Jesus' name, amen. Matthew 24. Stick with me. I'm going to cruise through this. But you've got to hear this first because this is a chunk of Bible is together. We want to stay in context. Context is everything in the Bible. Context is everything. If folks are bringing just specific verses to give their point of view from the Bible, and it's not in context of where it's couched in Scripture or where it fits in the whole world view of Scripture or where it fits in even the prophetic story of the Bible from the Old Testament on, you can end up with some very flawed theology. So I want to bring in this full passage so we understand what's going on. And today we're going to be talking about stewardship, but we're not talking about money. Hello. Stick with me. So here it is. Matthew 24. Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to its buildings. This is a very specific moment in time. This is one moment this whole conversation happens in, and Jesus has a whole conversation with tons of different stories, and we've got to understand this happens in one section of time. Because if you don't, you'll break it apart and you'll get all your little stories about it, but there's one theme I want you to get from this context of Scripture. So he's walking away from the temple, and the disciples say, look at these buildings, they're amazing. Do you see all these? Jesus asked them. I tell you the truth. Not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. Blasphemy. Jesus speaks blasphemy against the temple that took about 40, 40, 40 some years to build. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this, this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming in the end of the age? They don't realize they're asking about a whole chunk of time that, that starts with Jesus dying on the cross and ends with, we don't know when yet. And it's a whole chunk of time they just asked about. So we're in the middle of it somewhere. I don't know where. I'm not some great prophet. Do not think that. And I'm not telling you how it all plays out. I'm just going to read Jesus' words. Is that okay with you? So if you get mad, get mad at the dude with the red words. (laughs) Jesus answered, watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name claiming I am the Christ and and, and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Wars and rumors of wars, but you're not alarmed. Now, I'm not talking about from the perspective of us far detached from another continent where the war will likely never come to. I'm talking about from in the middle of the war and the battle going on all around us, When everything's falling apart, Jesus is saying, as things fall down around you, don't be alarmed. He's talking about those disciples in their perspective, in their country, in their experience. Right down to the core of where they're at. How do you do that? How how, how can you not be alarmed in the middle of everything falling down around you? War and rumors of wars? Our government's falling. Change is coming. Everything is falling apart. I tell you the truth, I I don't know that we as Americans at this point have a grasp 
of how to do that. I'm just being honest. Don't get mad at me. It's just truth. I think to get a better answer, you'd have to not ask me, although I have been in situations in life where I've almost died and been close to being killed and at the same time had this peace, but I've never been in the middle of a war. I've never been in the middle of everything falling down around me. Maybe we should ask a Christian who's in the middle of Egypt right now, a believer. In the middle of the war, don't be alarmed. The only way is by the grace of God Almighty. The only way is that the Holy Spirit of God comes in at that moment and takes you to a place where you are a little detached from what's going on directly around you and all you can see is what's next in hell. Folks, if we put our purpose and our anchoring and our value and our eyeballs on anything else except for Jesus, when you're in the middle of the storm and you're walking on water, you will sink, ask Peter. But if you keep your eyes on Jesus, you can walk on water. All the storms can come and you will not be alarmed. In the middle of it, if you're with Jesus and you know him and you're near him, we've got to cling to him. All of a sudden, maybe some of us are starting to realize, wow, how well do I know him? Because I'm not sure I'll make it. I'm not sure I'll be there. Such things must happen. Jesus said must happen. But the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. And all these are the beginning of the birth pains. The birth pains. That's an interesting term. Birth pains. Birth pains. What's being birthed? Do you ever sit and ask yourself these questions? Jesus leaves these hanging questions without even really presenting the question. But what's being birthed? What's the birth pain? What's it for? What's coming? Hello? The kingdom. is The kingdom is coming. The finality of things. This kind of marriage. This exciting celebration of the Lamb. We're thinking the end of the world is coming. Okay, that's great, wonderful, fatalist, (laughs) masochist. I'm not celebrating the end of the world. I'm not celebrating the end of all things. Yay! That's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. What I am celebrating is the marriage of a lamb. I am celebrating where where pain stops and tears stop. Do you know what I'm talking about? I am celebrating when the day comes... When there is no one, no one, no one who needs healing. I'm celebrating that. And you know what? I'm a revolutionary in the fact that I'm going to fight for it here now and break it into our reality at this moment until the birth pains are finished. Does that make sense? I want this baby now. By the way, it can hurt (laughs) the one having birth. But there's this, this, this reality that this is a good thing that's coming. It's, there's a birthing. It's not a death. It's a birth. It's a new life. So this is an exciting thing. In the middle of it, if we've got our perspective right, we recognize that there's something better to come. We as believers don't go, oh, no, the end of the world. We go, oh, yeah, our Jesus is coming. If we don't have that inside of who we are, I'm wondering, do we know him? Because when you know him, you want him. And you want to be near him. Whether this side or the next. Again, I'm not one of the old believers singing Old Beulah Land and the Sweet By and By. I've been there and done that. And it's, oh my goodness, it's like Christian suicide. I'm just saying. You know, Old Beulah Land 
I'm longing for you. And that's exactly how it sounds. And I am not going off on the fact that that was just sung right now today somewhere. True story, right? I actually like the song. But my reason for singing it is different. I long for Beulah Land right now. Right? And you know what else? As believers, the kingdom of God is in us. And Christ can use the hook of glory. So guess what? Beulah Land, you're looking at it. He's in me. He's in you. Right? So it, all we're looking forward to here is the full revelation of what we're already starting to experience. We should get popped, church. All right. Beginning of the birth pains. Something to look forward to. Then you'll be handed over to the persecuted or to be persecuted and put to death. You'll be hated by all nations because of me. Awesome. At that time, many, and this is Jesus talking. I'm thinking, you know, could you speak a better prophecy over us? I just, I want a blessing. And this does not sound like a blessing. Jesus, you know, disciples were sitting together and whoever opened their mouth and asked is getting punched. Stupid. You know, at that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. Many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. They'll come preaching Jesus. Isn't that scary? It is if you don't know him. This is where it's important to understand the difference between knowing about him and knowing him. Let me say again. There's a difference between knowing about him and knowing him. We need to know him. We've got to know him every day. I'm not the judge of who knows who. He is. But I'll tell you one thing for certain. I want to make sure that every day I wake up, I know Him a little bit more and He knows me. Our Lord is me again. Yeah, the one that keeps bugging you every morning. Give us revival. Amen. <laughs> so at that time, there'll be prophets and they'll deceive, false prophets and they'll appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. The love of most will grow cold. What does it mean when your love grows cold? I've seen it happen in marriages. Where people just grow apart. They get to a certain point in their life or where the kids move away or something changes and it just happens. And, and love grows cold. Now, I have no commentary on that today. Maybe another day. And maybe there's some that need healing as love grew cold. But today what I want to say is this. Don't let love for Jesus ever if you start to notice that there was a day where you loved it more, start thinking, oh, no, 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 today is that day. I want to love you more. I want to know you more. Press back into that relationship. Take some time and get away. Hide out. Get with him. Make the difference. In your family, in your families, if you start to notice that your love grows cold with your kids or your love grows cold with your wife, do something about it right now. Don't wait. Make radical decisions and radical changes to save what you've got. To be with your family. To grow that love together. Get an eye-to-eye -to -eye conversation. Go, you know, my love is grown cold, but I want my love back. 
You know, have that conversation with your kids. Where are we at? I love you. I need you to understand that I'm for you. I got your back. And have those conversations. Let that love get burning hot again. Spend time. Put your value where your value should be. We say we value things, but do we value things? We value what we spend our time, our money, and our self on. Is that not truth? If you value your family and your kids and the love is growing cold, prove it. Get with them. Have some face-to-face time. Make it, make it happen. Force it to happen. Hug on your kid. Get some eye-to-eye time. Let them engage you and speak back to you. It's worth it. Same thing for Jesus. When love grows cold, man, it's his time to stop. Everything comes to a screeching halt. I need a pretty breath. Lord, are we okay? Reveal to me where I'm wrong. Show me where you need me to change. Where did I turn from you? Turn me back to you. You guys, I'm not just preaching this. I live it. This is who I am. This is where he and I are. So the increase of wickedness, the love of, the love of most will grow cold. But he who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And the end will come. This gospel of the kingdom will be preached to all nations. So when you see standing in the holy place the abomination that causes desolation spoken of through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. And uh, I just want to say this about this reference. Uh, some of us have problem with, with Scripture itself and the authority of Scripture. And I just want to say that, first off, you need to understand the canon of the Old Testament that we currently have was put together by the Pharisees and was put together in place, intact, in the temple and synagogues, and regarded as the Holy Scriptures, the Tanakh, a hundred and some odd years before Jesus walked the earth in human form. So when Jesus talks about Scripture, He's talking about a canonized group of books that the Pharisees and scribes have put together and said, this is it. We know where they came from. We've got authority on them. And we use these as authority. Daniel was one of those books. So when someone ever, 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 ever tells you that the Old Testament isn't relevant, ask them which testament Jesus read. Which canonized group of books did Jesus read? Done. Jesus said, look at Daniel, or look at Isaiah, or look at this, look at our canon. This is what we regard as Holy Scripture. Jesus came and made sure that no one had any questions as to what was supposed to be in the Old Testament. Folks, the guy did not come to do away with it, but to fulfill it. He's like, this is it. Good stuff in there. Okay, so Daniel, when you see the abomination of desolation, the cause of desolation, apparently there's a belief that at some point, some figure that was anti-Christ against Jesus would actually take the place of the temple's holiest of holies and be worshipped as God. And so that's kind of this understanding here. So Jesus is saying that's going to happen, which is interesting to me that Jesus is saying this. So this is not me, the prophet. This is Jesus just saying that it's going to happen. Let no one on the roof of his house come down and take anything out of the house. Let no one in the field go back to get his cloak. How dreadful it will be on the days of the, for the pregnant women and those nursing mothers. Now, for those who are pregnant and nursing, I've got good news. It's taken a couple thousand years to get here. 
So I'm not sure it's next week that it's all going to come down. Although it would probably be good for us to live in a way where if Jesus came tomorrow, we're prepared. Yet at the same time, if he never came, we live in such a way preparing that we'd be prepared for him not. It's a both hand. I want to live every single day with the values and the priorities that would get me in a face-to-face relation or conversation with Jesus at his coming that went something like this. Hey Dustin, yes Lord, you done good. That's it. That's all I want to hear. Well done, good and faithful servant. So I'm going to try to live every single day as if tomorrow I may have that conversation. Does this make sense? And at the same time, I'm going to prepare and I'm going to work the field and I'm going to harvest and I'm going to sow seed and I'm going to disciple and I'm going to do this stuff until he does come. And it may be in 2,000 years from now. We may be at a halfway point. I don't know. All I do know is I'm going to be ready. Does that make sense? Does this make sense? Church, good. If you get these things down and you have this kind of anchored in your soul, it makes it a lot easier whenever you get buffeted by the signs of the times and everything else. You know, the good news is, is Jesus is our goal and we're going to be with him someday. And we can start to be with him now. That's great news because of the cross. And then the other news, which I don't know is totally bad news, is there's a lot of stuff going to fall out in the middle But even in the middle of that, the good news is is that you're going to shine like a city on a hill. Isn't that great? What Satan even means for evil, God's going to use for your good. Now, pray that your flight will not take place in the winter or on Sabbath. For then there will be great distress, unequaled from the beginning of the world until now, and never to be equaled again. If those days had not been cut short, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. I don't know what that means. I just think it's cool. (laughs) At that time... If anyone says to you, look, here's the Christ, or there he is, don't believe it. Listen to that. Don't believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and miracles deceive even the elect, if that were possible. They're going to be good. They're going to be really, really good at it. And it says, and I love this, Jesus says, see, I've told you ahead of time. So if anyone tells you, there he is out in the desert, don't go out. Or here he is in the inner rooms, don't believe it. For as lightning that comes from the east is visible even to the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. So how will we know that Jesus has come? In the middle of this, because we can start to see the signs of our age, how will we know that Jesus has come? How will we know? Well, probably by the time you know it, it's already done. Be like that. If some bloke is hanging out and saying, hey, I'm Jesus, it didn't happen. If some, if some movement says it happened invisibly, it didn't happen. It's going to be like that. Ask me when it's going to happen. I don't know. Only he knows. And you know what? Jesus said that he didn't even know. The Father knows. That's great news. I don't want to know. And I don't want to prophesy that. And I don't want to be the guy who's seen as the guy who called the end. I would rather call the beginning again and again and again and again. Let today be a new beginning. In the name of Jesus, I prophesy today is a new beginning. Amen. All right, so let's finish this, this part up. Where it says, um, wherever there's a carcass, there the vultures or eagles will gather. Immediately, 
after the distress of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from the sky, and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and all nations of the earth will mourn. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. And he will send his angels, a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of the heavens to the other. Now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer's near. Even so, when you see all these things, you know that it is near right at the door. I tell you the truth, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. What does this mean? Did Jesus miss it? Jesus miss it. This generation will not pass away. Isn't a generation like 40 years worth of people together gathered in one chunk? That is a Western concept. Please do not look at the Bible with Western eyes if you can help it. And it takes a lot for us to do that. We labeled what a generation is. We did that. In the Bible's term of generation, this group of people, this thinking, this church, this believing set of people will not pass away. You're going to be here. You're going to be here. And guys, the great news I believe for us is this, is the believers will not go away. A lot of people are saying that the church is going to disappear in 30 years. The church will go on. It may not look like it does now. And it may not work in America the way it's worked in the past so many years. But I'm almost wanting to say, thank God. I'm just saying. (laughs) I mean, I hate to be horrible about it, but let me just be real honest. One of the best things that can happen to us is a little trouble in the church and a little struggle so that we get freaking honest. It's time to get honest and authentic and relevant. Not in the cutesy term of relevant today. I don't need videos to be relevant. I need life transformation that goes down the core of who I am so that when an individual outside these doors sees me, they see what Jesus looks like. That's relevant. Does that make sense? No message is relevant except for the gospel through your life to the world around you. And I'm, I just got to tell you, I had somebody on the phone a week ago ask me, what are we going to do with the church because we know it's dying? And I was like, let her die, please. Not the people. Not Jesus. The institution that's allowing people to believe that being a member of an organization makes you have faith. I want disciples. It's time for disciples of Jesus to rise up. Revolutionaries in the right of Jesus, right? Please don't be freaked out at me. I'm really not crazy. I just love Jesus. And I get tired of, okay, one last thing. This is my little thing. I really get tired of the Jesus fish car people who cut me off on traffic and slam on the brakes. True story, you know? What is that about? You know? And then flip me off. I love that. Actually, I want to take pictures because true story, true story, big hanging cross in the window, and this joker comes over the other day and nearly slams into me, and I was, I was like, I hit the horn to make them stop, because like, hey, I'm here, I'm here, I'm here, and I slam on my brakes, and they sling back over, and they were so scared and nervous and upset at me for honking my horn because that happened. That they threw their finger out and shot me a big bird. I was like, where's my camera? Click, 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 click. Because there was a cross in the windshield. Cut it out. Cut it out, church. Know him. That's the metric. Knowing him. 
knowing Him, being known by Him, looking like Him, becoming like Him, learning of Him, being in His words, eating of His life and bread and the words of His... If you're not eating this, his, these red words in the book, and you're not meditating on it, you're not in it, I don't know if you're knowing Him and if He's knowing you. So if that thing is coming to an end... Let it come to an end. But I'll tell you the truth. The real disciples, the followers, the true lovers of Jesus will continue. That generation will not end until all of this has happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Jesus goes on to say, no one knows about the day or the hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the son, but only the father. It was in the days of Noah, so it'll be at the coming of the son of man. From the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That's how it'll be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field, one will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding with a handmill, one will be taken, the other left. Therefore keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let this house or his house be broken into. So you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come in an hour when you do not expect them. And this is the heart of stewardship in essence. It's the recognition that Jesus is coming at some point. And His coming will be quickly. And you know what? It's kind of like in every season, the Spirit of God is coming. In every season of our lives, He's checking us out. And He's walking with us. And I want to be prepared so that whenever He comes, I'm ready. I want to be prepared when the, when the Spirit of God sees Him comes, I'm ready. It may be that even before Jesus comes at a final point, even before He comes at a final hour, in every season, in every week or month or so often when the Spirit comes into our lives and just hangs out with us and talks to us, are we really ready to engage in a conversation with Him back? There's oftentimes I feel like the Spirit of God comes and tries to engage our world around us and stir people up to be after Him. But are we so distracted or do we have so many things that encumber us that we can't converse back? Let's bring this home. <clears throat> maybe in another week. I don't know that I'll be able to do it. I'm out next week maybe. But in another week when I get a chance, we'll go into 25. No one knows the day of the hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Oh, I read that. Sorry. <laughs> Here we go. Who then is the faithful, 45, who's then the faithful and wise servant whom the master has put in charge of the servants in his household to give them their food at the proper time? It'll be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. I tell you the truth. He will put him in charge of all his possessions. But suppose that servant is wicked and says to himself, my master is staying away a long time. And he then begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with drunkards. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, in an hour when he's not aware of it. He will cut him into pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is Jesus' talking. Jesus talks mean. Not nice. I'm just saying. Jesus is saying a very aggressive thing here. Some of us could even say, because Jesus did talk about hell a lot, and I know in this era people don't like hearing about it because it's just not nice. And hell isn't nice. That's the point. <laughs> I don't want anyone to go there. 
It's not nice. It's actually really, really rotten. But this, this section could be that kind of thing. You know what I'm saying? Talking about what it would be like to be cut into pieces and given to where the hypocrites are, where they're going to be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You know what's funny is Jesus brings this as the end point, and it wasn't the purpose. Um, I don't see Jesus talking about hell throughout the scripture. He talks about this relational thing and being prepared and looking forward to his coming. Yet at the end, he doesn't leave out this fact. I think it's important. He wouldn't have added it here if it wasn't important. I don't think, though, it's my purpose. It's not my motivation. I am not motivated to help people know Jesus, nor am I motivated to be a good steward because hell is coming. I'm actually motivated to be a good steward and tell people about Jesus because of the life he's given me and the love I have for him. It's really pretty awesome. And it's an opportunity they can know so that they don't experience 50 and 51 on earth. Does that make sense? So do this with me. I'm changing my mind. I'm not doing 25, but I want to do this. Do you know what 25 has in it? Let me give you an overview because I need to finish here. But the parable of the ten virgins. You guys know that parable? They've got their lamps and some don't have enough oil. You know the story. And then they're like, you get your own oil. I'm going to be ready. And then the bridegroom comes, that story. The par- parable of the talents is just after that. We love using that because in the church, that is the best preaching for tithing ever. <laughs> But it's not about tithing. It really isn't. I'm, I'm not so interested in getting money into a building. I think you've probably figured that out by now. That's not my purpose. You know, all these years working bivocationally, you can see that's not my goal. It's not my goal to get money in so I get a paycheck. That's not how it works here. That's not what this is about. It's about everything that God's given us. Are we being good stewards over it? And I want you to go back and read in 25. Read about the parable of the ten virgins later. Read the stewardship in there. These folks were being careful with that oil so that no one, no one, no one stopped them from seeing their beloved. And there was this spirit in here of anticipation. So let me say this. Good stewards anticipate the bridegroom's coming. There's an expectancy and an anticipation. Do we walk in the door every week? Do we come in together into unity and have anticipation and expectation that we're going to have an encounter with him? We need to. Good stewards steward their hearts and their love towards Jesus. It's time to stir up some expectation and anticipation. Folks, you can do that on your own. The Bible says in Isaiah that I looked around the world to find a man who would stir himself up and take hold of me. John Wesley said that people will come from miles around to watch one man set himself ablaze and burn up for God. I know it doesn't sound right, but it is. Me being a dad, I love it when my kids love being with me. The more excited they get and the fact that they run over and knock me down at the door makes me pumped. When I come in, they're like, oh, it's dad. God is looking for folks who are going, ooh, I want it. I want it. I want to be with it. I want to know it. You know, and you can stir yourself up all week long. You can stir yourself up by having a faith life outside these doors, by being a life learner of Jesus and a disciple, being in practice with him, being in his word, engaging in conversation with others, applying it to your life, literally taking notes when he talks to you and actively engaging him day by day by day. And all through everything you're going, stopping and making moments to hear 
before you do the next thing. And then moving forward. Build that expectancy. Build that anticipation. Expect Him to talk. Right? Because He wants to. God wants to talk. Parable of the talents. God sows and reaps. And He reaps where He doesn't always sow. And there's something about being faithful with everything He places in our hand and recognizing that we have to do something with it and not be lazy and sit back out of fear. And I think the thing that we can take home from that is that we cannot be afraid any longer. We cannot be moved by fear. We cannot live in fear. We must move out of love. And we must engage Him in love and be in love with Him. And out of that love place, we are going to want to invest because we'll want the best for our Master. The last talent owner, holder, was afraid because he was a hard man. I believe he was lazy like the Lord said to him, and he was afraid. And I think both are wrong. We can't be lazy. We must be vigilant. We must, must, must move forward. We can't be complacent any longer. Again, we must stir ourselves up. And then we cannot be moved out of fear. We can't be held back. Fear will only stop us. We must love him. And actually, it's proof that that servant did not know his master. And then the sheep and the goats. And the thing I want to say about the sheep and the goats, you can read it as well. You know how it works. In this passage, it says, Lord, Lord, when did we know you or when did we do these things for you? And the Lord said, you did all of these things to me when you did it to the least of these. And the things were like handing out a cup of cold water and doing kind works or whatever, right? If we stay in that passage alone, we can come up with the justice theology and say, I'm going to go do works for Jesus and that will get me in. But in Matthew 7, if you dial back, we can't do 25 alone. He already had Matthew 7 earlier on. In the Matthew 7 passage, he says, there'll be people that come to me and they've done all kinds of works, including healing. And they'll say, Lord, we've done all these things for you. And he'll say to them, depart from me, you work of iniquity, for I never knew you. But inside of anticipation and knowing him through love, interacting through faith works of justice, in his name, in his name, There is a powerful thing in the kingdom that happens. And that powerful thing in the kingdom that happens is, I believe, even right here, right now, God literally shines a light on who the sheep are. I think before heaven, if we are good stewards, the world will know who Jesus is and will know we're his followers. This may be hard to understand, but go read these passages. I'm not going to give it all to you. That's what I'm giving you. Go out of here and read these passages and ask the Spirit of God to engage you on stewardship. See the anticipation and the expectation in the virgins. See the laziness and the, and the fear and the talent holder at the end. And then go and walk away and engage God in a conversation over Matthew 25 and Matthew 7. And ask Him what He thinks about knowing Him and making Him known. Does this make sense? Is this good? That's a lot of information. That's a lot of information. As the worship team comes and we stand, I am very, very thankful that you've listened to me this doggone long. But you've got to understand something too about this passage. This passage is placed in Scripture right before Jesus is taken to the cross. 
So he's entered temple setting. In 24 and 25, both of those chapters, he sits down and tells these guys, after he says, this temple's going to be torn down. He's ticking off the Pharisees as he's talking. He's even ticking off some of his followers, most likely. And in this season, right here, where he's talking about this, he's in total understanding that this is it. In three chapters, he's out of here. And he's resurrected and all good stuff. Do you understand why Jesus would say something? Or do you understand the fact that if Jesus says something in his series of lectures of life, if it's placed right before his death, do you understand that it's important? It's like an exclamation point. It's an end cap. As a teacher, you don't walk in and think, I'm going to give my best lecture first. You give the basics, Matthew 5 through 7. This is what the Jesus life looks like. And then you go through a walk with people demonstrating the kingdom. And then at the end you go, and this is the most important stuff I got, guys. And he does this off the side with his disciples. Guys, this is important passages of scripture. If we can understand stewarding our hearts, stewarding our time, our finances, and everything else that God's given us, even our gifts, stewarding our love towards him, if we can understand stewarding even our activities, not just in social aspects, but in his name for him. I'm telling you, church, you're going to literally rock this area out. This is important stuff for Jesus. And Jesus wants that outflow out of love and relationship and knowing him. It's an important passage. Jesus, come. And move among us. Father, I'm not even sure how we should end. So let's do it this way, Lord. I pray that this will become something that we're excited over. I know it's a hard chunk of scripture. But God, help us to fall in love with you. Help us not to be distracted by all the signs of the times around us. Help us to keep our eyes on you and love you and engage you in conversation. Help us to know you. And Father, as we know you and we engage you in conversation, will you literally help us to steward? God, please draw us into relationship with you deeper. Father, save our kids. Let them know you as Lord. Help them not to walk just in their own plans, their own stories, their own choices, God, but let our children and our children's children know you. And Lord, don't even let them live the lives we've lived. Let our children and our children's children live better lives than us. Help us to steward our time and our lives and our hearts and everything that we do as adults in this place, young people or youth, so that the generations that come after us will be loved and known by you. I want to say one more thing. The Bible starts off with a story about Adam and Eve. And it all goes foul whenever Adam and Eve consume the fruit. And God just really revealed to me this week that the core of the problem is consuming from our desire. 
the core of the problem is consuming out of our desire. Good stewards are not here to see what they can get out of life or see what they can get out of the earth or get out of that fruit tree that's got wisdom or what they can get. Good stewards are about what they can give. We're not here to consume. We're here to bring life. And, and we're here to walk like Jesus did so he can bring life more abundantly through us. Does this make sense? The core of the problem with sin is consuming for our own desire and devices. It's time to start giving back, folks. It starts with a heart change. We've got to be a people that give back. get this? Our younger generation gets it. It's the core of the problem of sex trafficking. Younger generation gets it because it's the core of the problem with the environment. Funny thing, the environment is interesting. It's a, I got a love-hate. I don't hate the environment. I just got this love-hate for the concept because I really do believe there's going to be a new heaven, a new earth. Yet at the same time, at the baseline of who I am, I'm an anti-consumer. I'm not here to consume this earth. I want to leave it better because I've been here. I want to have a footprint that makes a difference because I have a lifestyle that doesn't consume. Does this make sense? I'm not a user. I'm a giver. Right? So maybe this is how we can end. I want to challenge us at the core of who we are to, to ask Jesus to reveal to us something that may be very uncomfortable because I've been asking this a lot lately. I'm going to tell you, I've got no answer I like. Not at all. And by the way, for those of you who are speaking into my life, I don't like your answers either. So, you know, all of you, even my friends, don't like the answers. But these answers are uncomfortable truths and we need them. Right? But ask the Lord. Ask the Lord, baby. Where have I been a consumer? And where can I be a better steward of my life, my time, my heart? And then ask Him to start rooting you in and anchoring you in on values that you hold dear. And then write those values down and wake up and look at them. i got a number one value that's God. A number two value that's family. A number three value that's ministry. Did you know that about me? And then everything else. Work, number four value. If those get out of order, i got to fix it. Something has to change. Because I live anchored in my values. Maybe we can do that. Is, is this something we can do? Ask yourself where you're spending the primary amount of your time and your value and your money and your life. And ask God to engage in a conversation where you can do something that's better stewardship with it. That'll give back versus just consume. Is this cool? And don't hate the red. But read 24 and 25. And see what the Spirit of God tells you. Cool? Alright, so let's, let's do that. Jesus, again, as we close this, Lord God... Seal this up in our hearts, Father. Lord, I pray that we will become a people that give back. That we are livers to give. Bring life. And Lord, as we give, like your Bible talks about, when we give to you, when we lend to the poor, or we give to the poor, we're lending to you, the Lord. And you have a good rate of return. So that's one thing. And then we know that whenever we give to you, we bring what's already yours. And tithes and offerings, the Bible says that you pour out immeasurably more on us and open up heaven on us. And then we also know that when we give to you, 
with a right heart in your name, Jesus, that you give 30, 60, or 100 times more. And Father, I pray that that being the truth as we become anti-consumers in this church, as we become even better stewards of what you've given us, of our lives and our time and our families and, our, and everything and our values get better centered. Lord God, I pray that you'll pour out blessing on this church. Pour out blessing on this church. Help blessing to come from our being obedient to being great stewards of all that you've given us. And this season, this time, God, help us to be good stewards Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. So we're going to close here. You're welcome to sit, stand, kneel, bow. You're welcome to do whatever the Lord leads you to do. This is a tougher message, but at the same time, let me tell you something. If you get this down the core of who you are, who you are some folks have already gotten a hold of the core of stewardship, and I've seen God bless their lives. But there's this release of God's blessing. The peace comes. Even if the money doesn't come and the stuff doesn't come, the peace comes, the joy comes, the life comes. Better families come, you know, he, he returns. And so if you're in here today and you're struggling with it and you need prayer to be a better steward of what God's given you, or you're praying about your value set and your next steps, and you want someone to agree with you, I'll hang out here and pray with you. Our prayer team will pray with you. And you're welcome to, to just stay here until God's done with you. The worship team's going to continue on. And I'll know that's God because it's so hot in here. It'd be a miracle for anyone to stay at all. <laughs> and they're working on fixing it. So do that and we're moving. By the way, we are looking at buildings, guys. So today, don't move until he's done with you. The Spirit of God will come. And as we go from here, may the grace of God the love of Jesus Christ, the passion of God, the expectancy of God, that love will come and fear will go, that we won't be lazy, and that we'll do all these things in your name, Jesus, and help us to be engaged with you in conversation and to know you as we go out these doors in this world. It's in Jesus' name I pray this prayer. Amen. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers.